Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Alistair Thomas plays in a band, a pretty big band. He has a production company, he directs, he edits things, and he likes dogs. I saw him play a track called Keanu Reeves on a pavement outside Wolf's Cafe more than a decade ago. And we've been friends ever since. We haven't had a solid conversation for a very, very, very long time. And he's here in studio, and I am so excited. Hi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I mean, I'm going to start with the very first question, which is, what is your band's name? My band is called Short Straw, and also Cockles. Oh, yes, you have two bands. Technically. <laughs> Cockles, like, I can only do one band at a time, so it's either Cockles or Short Straw. Short Straw was on hiatus for two years, mm-hmm. so I started Cockles, and then Short Straw stopped hiatus. What do you want to <laughs> Came back from the hiatus. Came back from the hiatus, yeah, and then, uh, and then Cockles kind of went to nice. And I've actually had a Cockles album. Second album for Cockles has been sitting in studio since 2019. And then uh, we never finished it. And then obviously the whole thing happened. Uh, And still haven't finished it. (laughs) What do you still have to do? Um, Record most of it. (laughs) Like, I mean, we've got like demo tracks down, you know, like we track drums. And we finished uh, one song. Okay. uh, Oh, we finished two songs. Uh, But then we still got like nine or ten to go. So Did you consider... Releasing them? Have you? Released them? Um, so I mean, look, Cockles was never for for like it was never for like commercial purposes, I suppose. Uh, so it was always kind of just like fun for us to do. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we should have released them. Yeah, and I thought about it a whole bunch, but no, <laughs> we haven't released anything. I'm sorry. Maybe you might still. Maybe well, we will. I mean, look, okay. hey, the future—it's bright. <laughs> so, so, I mean, <laughs> all we got left is time. So now. What is your relationship with music currently? Full-time, part-time, or it's complicated? <laughs> well, it's always been complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look, it's always been part-time, I suppose, because uh, I've always worked. Uh, my parents never necessarily insisted that I get a real job, mm-hmm. but uh, I kind of just did, I suppose. And tried to do it kind of like semi-full-time, but kind of always had the the sense, I suppose, yeah, to like always kind of have a backup plan. We played music hard. We banded hard for like four or five years and then kind of work started getting a bit more serious and life mm. got a bit more serious so it's it's always kind of been a secondary a primary uh, obsession mm-hmm. but a secondary career so that's where it is so I still think about it I still really enjoy playing music I really enjoy writing music and I enjoy recording music but uh, I got a day job mm-hmm. okay <laughs> Do you have any music qualifications? Or? No. <laughs> I couldn't even get in the choir in school. <laughs> Do you think that's had any impact on your career at all? Uh, musical career? Yeah, or? musical career. Um, yeah, I suppose it probably has had a little bit of a... It's probably affected my confidence in the whole thing. Yeah. Because I'm not technically a musician. I'm just kind of trying to play music. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where it left me so yeah uh, yeah i mean i find myself quite self-conscious a lot of the time especially at live shows mm-hmm. um which is why i really enjoy studio and 
tuning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm not a skilled guitarist. I, I went to bass lessons in high school. Uh-huh. So I used to be able to play the bass fairly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a friend of mine taught me how to do a bar chord and the rest is history. <laughs> I hate Barcode. <laughs> That's all I know to play, man. It was funny enough, there's actually a lot of the, because I play a lot of the lead riffs in, um, in Short Straw, but they are technically or effectively just bass lines yeah. that I'm doing on the higher strings. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you are kind of musically qualified. <laughs> Go away. I mean, if you're being generous. Yeah. <laughs> Early influences. Uh, my dad got me started on all the grunge stuff in the 90s. So Pixies, Nirvana. Smashing Pumpkins, like kind of the classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you grew up in the 90s, they're the classics, I suppose. Um, and then, uh, funnily enough, so I grew up in Port Elizabeth, and uh, there, I suppose, there was a fair amount of people that also listened to that kind of music. Mm-hmm. When I was 12, I moved up to Joburg, and everyone just wanted to listen to, like, Bump 2. That was it, hey? I tried my best to kind of infiltrate everything with, um, yeah, but it didn't work. So I, I very reluctantly was like, okay, fine, I'll listen to Bump. And I bought, I bought the Bump CD. Well, I, yeah, no, I bought the Bump CD. <laughs> um, the, first CD the first CD I ever bought was actually uh, Daft Punk, that Around the World single, uh, and Bump. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, was like, I tried my very best to kind of like get into it, which I, and, you know, um, I like to think that I've got an open mind when it comes to music, so uh, I could see, I can appreciate the different bits of the different kind of genres of music and, and try my best. And that was the end of kind of primary school. And I was like, fine, okay, cool. I like Bump now. And then I got to high school and Blink-182 released Enemy of the State. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's my jam. Uh, and fortunately, there were the kids from different schools that didn't just like bump. So I managed to kind of um, make friends with all of them, uh, started listening, expanding bands that I knew from just Blink to other kind of punk, pop punk bands, I guess, at the time. And uh, very shortly after that, started band. So that's kind of what got me into it was, Wonderful. you know, yeah, my dad got me started on rock music. My friends in primary school kind of opened my mind to other genres of music and then kind of fell in love with pop punk in high school. Classic. So, <laughs> classic. so now that's the thing. Bump is pretty much the problem with the music scene in Johannesburg. A little bit, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's still the same. Yeah. 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 With, with the case of like the band plays and dance floor is empty and then the DJ comes in and everyone's like, Shh, exactly. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. It's why there's hardly any venues left to play in Joburg. It is. Uh, they are few and far between. Eh? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's not what we're talking about. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Highlights. Three of them of your musical career so far. Things that you have to pinch yourself to believe that you did. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, first one I can think of is Opikopi playing the, not the main main stage. The main main stage was ridiculous and like fucking amazing <laughs> but uh the first time we played skellum stage in 20 it must have been 2013 maybe it was 2014 back then that was like an eye-opener we had just released the, the album that kind of got us on radio and whatever and there was like the people up the hill and everyone was singing along there was a raft and people were crowd surfing in the raft and people were singing along and it was like sunset the dude from El Bear came along it was a ukulele in the set uh, and it was just like that was like primo Primo moment. In fact, I'm going to say two of my top three highlights were Opi Corpies. Wow. That was the first one. That was the first time we played a show and like people wanted to actually watch. Well, not the first time, but maybe it was the first time I really realized that mm. that like a lot of people wanted to 
Flag Watchers. I'll go in chronological order. Then after that, we got to fucking go to Japan. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, um, we got to go to Japan and then we got invited back to Japan like four more times. You know, so we've been to Japan five times. It's ridiculous. And then the third one will be the Opikopi where we played just before brand new on that stupidly big main stage. And there were 20,000 people singing to fucking, you know, the bridge of one of our songs back to us. And it just like, ah. yeah, it gives you gooseys and like your heart flutters. And, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, back to Japan for a moment. Yeah. Did people come to your shows? Japan is a bit, it's weird. Yeah, people came to the show. The whole big in Japan thing. Everyone like, big in Japan. But no, I mean, no, we're very <laughs> small to <laughs> like maybe small, medium size in Japan. So the venues there are bizarre because you'll play one night in Nagoya. We've been to Nagoya like four times. The venue can hold 30 people. And, but it's got like a state-of-the-art sound system, fucking all the lights you can imagine. And 30 people come and they've actively engaged throughout the whole set and then they all buy a T-shirt and you sign it and then they leave. The, I suppose the biggest one we played, there was like four, 500 people, you know, and that's in Osaka. Um, so no, not like, not a hell of a lot of people, but consistently and over the years, the same people keep coming back to the shows. So they are a very dedicated audience, I suppose. And they keep inviting us. So, I mean, as long as they're inviting us, we're going to keep going back because it's a very special country. The people are just like, they make you want to come back over and over again. I have heard remarkable things. Yeah. The first trip to Japan. Yes. How did it happen? Tell me the story. So, thank you. This is all Shane Durrant, uh, who, funnily enough, okay, so, I mean, there's a, we have a long history with Shane and Wolves and Desmond and the Tudus. Well, in 2009, we did our first EP. And then Shane opened Wolves in like 2010 or 20, I think it was 2009 or 2010. Yeah, I think so. Around then. And uh, he called me actually out of the blue and saying, hey, I heard you're a band. Do you want to come play a show at Wolves? And we're like, okay. I mean, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, what a cool thing to do. And that's probably where you heard us play Keanu Reeves for the first time. Yeah. We put a lot of effort into that first acoustic set because we, we were kind of like an acoustic band, but we like, still needed the drums. So he let us to bring the drums along. Uh, and he was like, yeah, cool. Fan. Uh, well, tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> And then we came to self-recording our first album in 2011. And he was like, hey, I'm playing with the idea of publishing. I think publishing is the right word. Yeah, playing with the idea of publishing. Who's going to publish this album? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, we recorded in our guitarist's bedroom. So it's like we had not thought as far as publishing. Uh, and he was like, cool, well, Howl Records is a thing. Let's, uh, let's do it. So we were like, okay, Brad, Did he also publish one of your albums? No. No. Maybe it was only, I don't know how many albums they Howl ended up publishing, but he published our album, which, looking back, not a, not a very good album. <laughs> but it had one or two songs, and he was like, we just did this tour to Japan. Are you cool if I send the album to Dawa from Flake Records because maybe he'll dig it? I actually don't even know if he asked. I think he just did it. And he was like, by the way, Dawa digs it if you guys ever want to go to Japan. Just like, let him know. And um, we had uh, opened for a band called Last Dinosaurs from Australia. Hank van der Scaife brought them out and we opened for them at the Alex Theatre. I think our manager was sweet-talking their manager and he was like, hey, look at this band. <laughs> uh, and that happened to be like a really good show, really nice crowd. And he was like, okay, well, I also managed this other band called The Jungle Giants in Australia. They're doing an album launch tour in 2014. Do you guys want to come along and you can be one of the opening acts? 
And we were like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, that'll happen. And uh, the rest is like a bit of a blurred. I don't know who organized it. It must have been Russell and Jean-Michel, probably. I imagine it was the two of them in cahoots to actually make it all happen because I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, and we went and did this awful two-week tour in Australia to a very clicky audience that was there for Jungle Giants and maybe any other Australian band, but they couldn't care less about a South African band that was like mm-hmm. jingle jangle, whatever, whatever. I, my, I get jet lag badly. <laughs> so we did two weeks in, uh, in Australia playing these kind of like really disheartening shows. I, was, I hadn't slept in two weeks or whatever. It was really like bleak. Jet lag just dissipated and we were like, okay, we're going to Japan. And we were like, oh, okay, well, Japan's going to be just as disappointing as uh, Australia because that's just how it goes. Mm. Uh, and it was the complete opposite of that. The first night we arrived, played to like, obviously the guy had uh, promoted the show a bunch. He had gotten other Japanese bands that were going to help bring the crowd. And we played to this like really full club called Fever in Tokyo. We were like, what? <laughs> like People actually do. They can. We are capable of being liked. And afterwards, like this is the tradition in Japan, is after the show, the, the promoter of the show takes every single person involved in that show out to dinner. And we were like, what? <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, or you can eat or you can drink. <laughs> and it was Tom's birthday, I think, on that day. And they got Tom a cake. Uh, everyone sang happy birthday in Japanese. And we were like, this is just the warmest welcome you could have imagined drank a lot of Japanese whiskey and got absolutely hammered and uh, and then had a, like, a really great like week-long tour after that so two weeks of like not a great time in Australia and then a, a followed by like a really solid week in, in Japan um, so and uh, once you go there like the first time really is the kind of charm because you just fall in love and you just don't want to ever leave so yeah it really just filled us with hope and happiness you know which is cool so nice yeah I mean, my next question was going to be about the music you've released, about whether it was a label or independent, but obviously the music itself published by Hal for that first EP. Yes. Label-wise, independent. Russ will be able to answer that a little bit better because he's kind of taken over a bit of the managerial role because he's, he's, he's band dad, you know. Uh-huh. He enjoys doing it. I, um, I did it a lot for the first, like, five years of our existence, and yeah. then he, um, he took over. So, and I'm very happy that he did. Um, so there have been labels involved, but never, like, uh, major labels. No one's ever paid for us to record an album. Yeah. So I think it's more like publishing labels yeah. and uh, distribution labels. The rest, we've always recorded uh, independently, uh, self-funded. Yes, independent. So in terms of kind of industry administration, Sampra, Capasso, Samro, Russell takes care of that. Yeah, I suppose. So Gad's the only one I think that's ever done the trip to Samro (laughs) to fill in the forms for us. I think we know, I lie, we did it in 2011. And then Russ makes sure we stay up to date with it. But we are lucky to have our publishing through Universal. So they handle that stuff now. Amazing. Yeah. Good business side tick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very bad at the whole business side of the van. I kind of actively try and not be involved in it, to be honest, because it's not fun. No, it's really not <laughs> yeah. fun. When you started making music for money, what was the hardest part to figure out? Um, I don't know if we ever started making music for money. <laughs> the, oh, I, actually, and that's not true, I suppose. I mean, the first album that actually made us any money, we certainly didn't write it to try and get it. I know, we did try and write we, I mean, you always... You know, as an upcoming band, you're always writing, hoping to get onto the radio. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose we were doing that with a kind of commercialistic side to it. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> the hardest part to figure out. <laughs> Not swearing in songs. <laughs> Although we didn't actually end up doing that, really. The hardest part of 
trying to write music that would get on the radio yeah. or trying to make music that would actually make us some money. Either, actually. It's, I suppose maybe money is the wrong tack. It's more about doing music as a career, yeah. the hardest part of that, when you started out, not now. So, yeah, look, we, we all had day jobs throughout, so it was never necessarily... I suppose you always... The dream is to, like, cool, you do the album, and then suddenly you don't need the day job anymore, mm-hmm. and then it is your career. But uh, we didn't ever really get to that point, so we never quit the day job. So it's a difficult question to answer. So there are points in time now where it's like, oh, how much is the, what does the gig pay? You know, is it really worth our time? And I, I fucking hate that. I'm more like, is the gig worth it for us to like fill the bottle of need of, you know, like the satisfaction of playing a show that actually makes you feel good? Yeah. Because I mean, we've played those corporate shows that you do it for the paycheck, and it just crushes your soul totally so that's our kind of attitude now is that it's like now that i mean we're in the twilight years of the band you know a little bit and so it's like now we really are focusing on is going to make us feel good afterwards yeah regardless of how much it's paying or whatever is it going to make us like happy that we are still playing music at 37 you know totally so (laughs) that's kind of where we're at now there was very much a period in our careers where we were like cool let's try and make as much money as possible and see how it works but uh, it was a very quick realization that if you're a band of five people with a publicist and a manager and a booking agent and a sound engineer yeah it's impossible to survive you know yeah so we had to keep the day jobs i'm going to i'm going to go back a step and just say there's definitely swearing in at least one of your songs. Oh, no, there's lots of swearing in most of our songs. <laughs> um, yeah, but just to clarify. We have played a few uh, all-ages shows. In Australia, funnily enough, we played under-18 shows, which we thought, oh, that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, we tried our best to bring it back here. It did not work. <laughs> I think we played it with PH Fat. We're like, yeah, let's do an under-18 show. That was a terrible idea. Um, but there, you have, to, you have to censor yourself. Yeah. Um, was you such a Grinch in the morning? <laughs> well, yeah, that was kind of funny. Yes, no, it's swearing a lot. Uh, I swear. It's a yeah. terrible habit. But uh, What do you know now? What I know now that I didn't know then. That you wish that you'd known right at the beginning of Ooh la la. Hmm. Faces. What's the band called? Is it Faces? I don't know. I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger. Is that, what you, is that kind of the question? That's kind of the question, yeah. except I don't know it's the song. It's a song. I only discovered it like two years ago. Oh, my God. Now I wish I knew it. It's a really good song. And when you hear it, you'll be like, oh, this song. Okay, probably. Uh, I think it's actually technically quite a cheesy song, <laughs> but I only discovered it a couple of years ago, so I'm like, yeah, no, I like it. Are we talking about life in general or are we talking about music? Let's say either. I suppose like our mantra as a band has been something that I've learned and developed along the way, which is don't be a cunt mm-hmm. <laughs> or don't be a dick. I suppose, sorry, I'm not swearing. And that's, I mean, that's something that I, I stand by, you know, and uh, I, I, I probably was a dick, you know, when we started out as the band and definitely as I was growing up. Uh, and now I do make a concerted effort, well, not necessarily a concerted effort. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that it's kind of, you know, instilled in me now to just not be a dick when I don't need to be a dick. You never need to be a dick, but uh, you just treat everyone as they should be treated, you know. Yeah. Um, it's uh, I'm not a religious person, but there's that one part of the Bible that I go treat treat your neighbor how oh, you, you he should treat you or whatever it is, um, and I always thought that was like cool, like yeah. you know I can get behind religion if it just instills that in everyone, treat everyone nicely, you know, because no one deserves to be treated like a dick um, unless they make you do <laughs> I mean uh, some people totally you know give everyone it. the benefit of the doubt, you mm-hmm. know, uh, at least at first. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I suppose that's that's something. It's like you know when I was being a little prick in high school. <laughs> Just stop, you know, that would have been something good to know. Because, I mean, and this is something that I suppose everyone would always say, is that the older you get, the more you realize that it's not important. That shit wasn't important. Yeah. So, yeah, just be good. Be kind. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> what are the best parts of making music? The first time I ever kind of joined a band in high school, I was playing bass. And it was, funnily enough, it was with Bugsy from Crash Cop Band. Name drop. Because um, <laughs> we went to the same high school together. And he was this, like, shit-hot drummer. And I was this, like, bassist who could, like, pick some notes, you know. Um, and him and I was going to a band practice at the house, the very first band practice. Him and the guitarist were there. And they were playing, like, all the small things or something, like, you know, what you do in standard seven, mm-hmm. standard six or standard seven, whatever it was. And I was a bit later. So they were, like, jamming it. And I ran into the room and I plugged in my bass. And it was, like, just bar chords and drums. And then as soon as the bass came, and I was like, poor, it fucking sounds like a song now. Uh, and that feeling has stayed with me forever because it's like, you're part of, I mean, we're playing a cover, but it was like, you're part of creating a song, creating music. And it just made, you, made me feel like, wow. Like, and that's maybe when I really realized that I really wanted to be in a band was that, uh, you know, even the smallest, even just hitting a root note on a bass guitar counted. Um, so that, that's one. <laughs> Massive goosebumps, yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, playing shows. The first time an audience ever sung back words that I'd written was, uh, like, a really fucking overwhelmingly awesome moment. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't feel fucking right, you know? Yeah. It's just like, that's cool. Um, and that was, like, at the Bohemian in, when it was in Richmond, you know? And then if it happens again, that's amazing. But the first time it happens, you remember it. And then recording. The first time you record something that you've just doodled around on a guitar and you're like I think it might be a song <laughs> and then suddenly you got someone who knows what they're doing and you put drums to it and there's a bass to it and so he's like whoa what about a second guitar layer you're like, what? <laughs> and then you hear that back and I mean the first song that I ever recorded I listened to like 4,000 times before it even it saw the light of day uh, because it's just such a rad feeling to create something and then get it kind of mastered those elements I often think about that and I think about how you start something and you want it to be finished and out in the world the minute you write it yeah. but the steps that are required to turn it into that end product yeah. are enormous yeah. it takes restraint yes Maybe absolutely because you can you could tinker with it for years mm-hmm. and you could just keep adding stuff instead of you know it's, the, it's knowing when to take shit away that's why i mean a producer in studio is very important i don't know if it's on your list but i'd like to mention Jacques from high seas because he's a very special dude <laughs> totally yeah. so talk about him for, it's not on my list talk about him for a moment so our first album was recorded in jason our guitarist's bedroom yeah i mean bless his heart it's not recorded very well <laughs> <laughs> so then the band kind of we we got new members in because Jay, who recorded the album, moved overseas. Our bassist at the time moved overseas. So we got this whole kind of new band. And uh, we wrote these new songs. That uh, And then Jean-Michel asked if he could manage us. And we were like, okay, we've never had a manager before. That's great. And then he, he heard these songs. And he was like, have you heard of Jacques at High Seas? I actually don't know if it was called High Seas at the time. But he was like paraphrase i'll say <laughs> have you heard of jacques and high seas and we we're like no what is that <laughs> and he took us through and at the time jacques was recording in like a wendy house in the back room but the dude's just like a maestro he's just like really fucking good at what he does yeah we had recorded some demos before and they kind of weren't working and then we just went in with him and he was like he just knew exactly what to do um and immediately we were like yes thank you <laughs> we're in and he is that voice of reason a lot of the time he knows what to add he knows what to take out and um 
And he's never overbearing about it. He's never telling us what to do. It's always like a, he makes it sound like a suggestion, but I mean, really, <laughs> we, we know he knows that it's going to sound better, so he, he makes sure that it kind of happens. The, my only gripe with Jacques is before, like, we'll do a take of, like, a vocal take or something, he'll play something, a video on YouTube that's, like, most incredible live performance of anyone you've ever seen. I remember before we recorded, like, some stupid song on one of the albums, he played At the Bottom of Everything by Bright Eyes, which is, yeah. like, one of my favorite songs. It was the first time I heard it, and I was like, well, this isn't going to be as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that, great, love the guy. <laughs> Next album, are you going to record with him? Absolutely. So that was 2013. That was Good Morning Sunshine. Mm. We have recorded one, two, three more albums with him since then. And I don't think we'll go anywhere else because he's like he's another member of the band, you know. And he actually is a band member of Cockles. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah, I managed to nab him in there. I saw you guys play in that downstairs basement long passageway in Greenside. Yes, that was such a cool venue, man. Yeah, that's cool. I can't, well, I can't remember what it was called now. No, it's changed no. names now. It's I don't even know if the downstairs exists anymore, which is a crying shame, because it was a cool venue. That was our album launch. That was yes. February 2019. Thank you for coming. Yes, it's a <laughs> pleasure. I was really glad I was there. <laughs> to be honest, I mean the Cockles band is it's made up of very skilled musicians. Um, just uh, hiding my. <laughs> I mean, it's buckle. really fun music. Yeah, thank you. I yeah. mean, that's the that was the idea, I suppose, was to keep it kind of lighthearted. And it's a real pity that nothing has been released. <laughs> no, the first album got released. No, did it? The second album is still sitting on Jacques' hard drive. So Cockles is up on Spotify. So Cockles is on Spotify. Okay. It is. It's on Spotify and everything. Uh, but shout out to Jean Michel Weekly. He's a uh, he's been our manager short straw since twenty like probably the end of twenty twelve, uh, and he's been a very good friend since then too. He helped Cockles uh, get onto Spotify because I don't think it would have happened. Without him. <laughs> I'm glad he did. I'm actually yeah. going to listen. And it's a very good album. <laughs> I'm very looking forward to it's that. It's called the world's best narcissist. So that's why I had to say that. No, no, totes. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the show, when we play out, just now. Yes. We're going to have to give some massive thought about whether we're going to play out with short straw or cockles. Okay. You're going to think about it. And okay. people are going to be surprised when they get to the end and they see who it is. Can we play out with my favorite short straw song? If we can get the permission to do that from oh, the publishers cockles. and stuff. Okay, well, you can definitely have permission to play a cockle song. <laughs> we don't have a publisher. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> then it will be a cockle song. Okay. Hey. <laughs> okay. Advice. For young indie creators yes. who want to do this, who are doing this. Don't be a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> don't be a dick. Sorry. I don't know. Cunt is a harsh word. <laughs> I quite like the word, actually. Yeah, it's a, great, it's a very descriptive <laughs> word. I mean, that's the advice we've, we've always given is that, I mean, don't be a cunt and write, don't write shit songs, I suppose. Yeah. Um, or try not to write shit songs. And if you, uh, yeah that but uh, it really i mean especially in joburg and south africa the industry is so small people are going to remember you if you're a dick so don't be a dick be nice because most of the people in this industry are nice so just get to know us i suppose <laughs> and you know treat everyone with respect and put effort into your into your music i guess i don't know those are really good pieces of advice okay cool yeah. <laughs> local musical hero dead or alive local south african Laudu Liebenberg, <laughs> butchered his surname. No, Laudu, no. Dutch Courage is in my top five albums of all time. And it will always be, if I can think it's a masterpiece. Um, so Laudu, uh, and I suppose hand in hand with Hunter because they're just like phenomenal songwriters. Um, I will say Shane Durant because I think he's a fucking comical genius. Yes. Uh, and 
like a, just a creative genius really um big fan of the dude I mean, I can go on. I mean, do you want just like no, one or no, two? No, those two are perfect. <laughs> um, a local as well. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Alice Phoebe Lou as well. I know she's based in Berlin now, mm-hmm. but she is technically local. I think she's phenomenal. I think a uh, big fan of hers. My wife's a big fan of hers. Just got to see her play live a couple of times as well in uh, somewhere. Um, and, yeah, I mean, she's uh, yeah, a big fan. <laughs> hey, you know who you introduced me to? Ruby Gill. Oh, no ways. Yeah. How and cool is Ruby? So cool. And her stuff is wonderful too. Yeah. I mean, is she local anymore now that she lives in Australia? No, she doesn't. Know. She's got an Oz passport as well. Uh, yes, no, I think she is. Okay. Yeah, no, okay. old family friends of ours actually, yeah. Her dad was good friends with my dad and still kind of part of our family, you know. So it's nice. Her brother's actually really good as well, Martin Gill. Really? Yeah. Solo project? He's just a solo guy, yeah. Here or there? He's in Joburg. Okay, so yeah. I'll listen. You also introduced me to Matthew Moll. Oh, good old Matty Moll. I was going to say Matty Moll, but no, I don't know. He's too famous. I know. That's exactly. <laughs> in fact, I remember the first time you invited him to play in Greenside at one of your um, Boosh shows. He did play a Boosh, eh? Like right at the beginning. Before he played, you said, this guy is one of the nicest guys you'll ever Oh, uh, yeah. And he still is. What yeah. a sweetheart. Even though he's super famous now. Yeah. Still such a nice dude, and what a talented guy, man. I, the first time I heard him, I was just like, this, he's going to be huge, so let me try and get him to play a boosh before he blows up. <laughs> um, yeah, funnily enough, Craig Durrant uh, and I orchestrated his first tour up to Joburg. Because he was supposed oh, how's this for Mole, the flake? Uh, <laughs> he was supposed to play a show with us in Stellenbosch. We were go- this was in 2011 or 2012. We were supposed to play a show. This is a long story. You can cut it out. We were supposed to play a show with Beach Party and Matthew Mole at a place called the something cellar in Stellenbosch. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, it is, doesn't exist anymore. Oh. Um, Beach Party turned out, they were headlining. They played the night before in Stellenbosch and the singer Gabriel got sick. <laughs> so, the, uh, and the singer was like, yeah, cool, sorry, can't play the show anymore. So we're like, okay, it's all good, Matthew Mole, we'll play, cool. And then um, Mole was like, oh, I just won this competition, so I can't actually play the show tonight because I've got to do something for that competition. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> then the venue owner was like, well, without Mole and Beach Party, we ain't doing the show oh, anymore. No. And then we ended up playing a show at the Nameless Pub in Somerset West, thanks to James Acker, who plays in Indian Minor, but at the time played in a band called The Lottery Tickets, who were also awesome and just got on the Spotify. Um, and he was like, yeah, we'll organize you a gig. The name is Pep. It was a foam party. <laughs> they, they still existed at that time. And, uh, and there was no one there. And Gad got arrested five minutes before we had to play no. the show for smoking a joint on the street. Um, so that was, that, that's, that was like our first like, non-meeting of Mole. Uh, but then after that, we were like, yeah, he's so good. Come up to Joe Big and we'll finally play that show together. And then he came up and, there, and then he met Just Music and I'm responsible for his fame. I think you might be. <laughs> but also, was the competition he won the Converse Get Out the Garage one? No, it was, bef- it was before Converse. So, oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, so he's won a few competitions. He was winning competitions from before he could put shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. What did you listen to on the way here? I listened to... That's a good question. I've got... So... Someone told me about a release radar. Spotify plays the same bloody music on every time I tried making playlists, but it always just plays the same bloody songs and it ends. Da, da, da. So someone told me about a release radar. Mm-hmm. So then I put on a release radar, but that only plays new songs for 12 songs or whatever. And then it goes straight back to the songs that I've been listening to a lot. I tend to listen to older music rather than newer music. Mm-hmm. 
my little brother, funnily enough, he posted a like an Instagram story and he made the soundtrack uh, "I Fought the Law" by The Clash, and I hadn't heard that song in like years, mm. and I was like, "What a great song!" And this is one of the nicer things to do on Spotify is you can go to radio and you do the radio based on that song. Did you not know? About I did that? not know about that. Oh, it's like the best thing. So if you got a song in your head and you're like, I only feel like listening to music like that, you like search that song and then you go to the three dots on the right of it and yeah. you click it and go go to radio and then it creates a playlist based on that song. Game changer. Although over the course of time they'll start just filtering or like putting in little songs that you hear all the bloody time. So yeah, it works, but ninety percent of the time it's great. Why do they do that? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> but I'll tell you, one of the best songs to start a playlist with is... Who's the dude from uh, the uh, um, Velvet Underground? Not Lou Reed. Lou Reed. Lou Reed Vicious. Okay, you know what a great song to start a playlist oh with is? Oh, my God. Let me just say yeah. that I heard that song for the first time this week. No ways! No, I promise you. How good is that song? I mean, it is dark. Yeah, but it's just dripping with sex, you know? <laughs> it is a wonderful, wonderful song. Yeah, it's great. So, do a playlist with that. I'm going On your to. way home, just go, go to radio. I just want to say <laughs> that I have a mailing list. Yes. That I send out a playlist once a month that I personally make. And Lou Reed's Vicious this month was on it. Nice. Yeah. But I will take that song and start a radio station with just that <laughs> And one. then you can determine whether yours was better. It probably was. I'm sure it was because it was curated. Thank you. Personally curated. I'm gonna, I'll play that one my way home. I think you should. That's yeah. a great idea. Hey, hey. I might do the same thing. <laughs> nice. Okay. Social media platform that you're most active on. Don't give me the links to all of them because, ah, oh, my wife one. makes My wife makes a lot of fun of me because I'm still on Facebook. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> apparently only old people are on Facebook now. There's the nodding. People told me that recently. <laughs> the one I'm most active on is probably Instagram. I'm only on Instagram and Facebook. I don't know how to use the other ones. How can people find you then? On Instagram, what is your social media handle? <laughs> My social media handle is cockles, cockles, cockles. Three times. <laughs> Actually, funnily enough, cockles was taken, so I did cockles, cockles, and then I forgot the password, so I had to make cockles, 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 uh, which just rolls with the tongue so easily. A little foray into that name. Yes. Was cockles because of cockles? It was. No, it's, no. Well, I mean, it's a combination of all of the above because you were going to say, oh, is it because it's a seashell and you like <laughs> seashells? Or it's, no, it's the cockles of me art. Oh. Yes, but it's also got cock in it because I'm a child. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So there you go. And uh, yeah, I'd like the imagery of seashells. No, I'm joking. It's just the first two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you Irish? I'm not. I'm Welsh, technically. Technically. Well, I mean, one thirty-second of my family <laughs> heritage. Thomas is Welsh, so... I'm, uh, I'm, I'm of Welsh descent, but apparently my grandmother had, had like German and other crap in it as well. Well done for still being in South Africa. Welsh done. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> Thank you. No, I don't have a Welsh passport. I have the green number, but even so, I think I would still be here regardless because Joburg is home. That's nice to hear. Everyone keeps leaving. It makes me really sad. You will, fuck, the government's making it very, very <laughs> difficult to still love being here. But hey, we persevere. We do. <laughs> Frogs in hot water, all of us. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This has been such a treat. Yeah, it really has. 
If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntory.com. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. Yeah.